0: Okay, before I introduce my guest, let me explain what this is all about today. Um, I think Japanese marathoning is underappreciated. And I what I mean is I think the awareness and media coverage of Japanese marathoning, from an American perspective anyway, is not proportional to how good they are uh, relative to other countries. So in Japan... Japan marathoning is a huge deal, and we'll get into that. But from my perspective, as an American who follows news, running news and results in distance running, and especially in the marathon, the general sense seems to be this. Basically, East Africans, uh, Kenyans and Ethiopians in particular, are at the top, and then there's everybody else a sort of competing equally for the scraps. Um, We're kind of in awe of the East Africans. There's almost this obsession with trying to understand how they're so good and studying them and so on. Um, And yes, it is true that the East Africans do dominate marathoning at the highest tier. Um, As of today, if you look at the marathon rankings on world athletics 79 out of the top 100 athletes in the marathon just so far in 2022 are either from kenya or ethiopia and then another 10 of those are from other east african countries so i'm not saying east africans don't deserve the attention they get and, and that's a whole other conversation of trying to explain why are so much better. Um, what I'm saying is I think there's a misunderstanding if you think it's just the East Africans at the top and then everyone else is basically equally competitive way down on a different level. Um, that's just not reality. The Japanese have incredible depth at the elite level. Um so I ran some numbers off the World Athletics website and as of this week uh so far just this year in 2022 alone here are the stats um on the men's side the number of athletes who have run under 2:10 in the marathon again just so far in 2022 uh so number of men under 2:10 79 Kenyans, 60 Ethiopians, 44 Japanese, and 5 Americans. Uh, The number of athletes who have run between 210 and 215, 81 Kenyans, 35 Ethiopians, 62 Japanese, and 17 Americans. So there's a pretty big gap between Japan and the U.S. I mean, 44 men under 210 just this year and only five Americans. Um, And all these trends are basically the same on the women's side, except the gap is not quite as big between um, Japan and the U.S. for the women. So, for example, um, in 2022, there have been 28 Japanese women go under 230 in the marathon and 14 American women. Uh, But the point is this gap is kind of surprising. I mean, the Japanese are really good and they have this incredible depth and you wouldn't really know it if you didn't go digging for the information. We're just not really told about any of these people or how this even came to be. Um, I have an idea of why that might be the case, which I'll talk about later, um, but it's even more interesting when you think there's no natural advantage they have, which we can point to the way we do with East Africans. Like, oh, they're born and raised at altitude. <clears throat> they have long skinny legs. They're you know, (laughs) raised in rural environments where they run to and from school every day and they work hard on the farm. So they're like really tough and have all this natural aerobic endurance or whatever. So the Japanese kind of blow that whole narrative apart. Um, so it's like, how do you explain this success in the marathon? And I mean, they have to be doing something differently, right? (sighs) So, I was trying to look into all this recently, and I came across this awesome three-part blog series called Runners from the Land of the Rising Sun. And it was posted on lydiardacademy.org, and it's this incredible deep dive into the history of Japanese distance running and their connection uh, with Arthur Lydiard from New Zealand it's a really fascinating read, but the whole website, uh, Lydiardacademy.org, is full of just all kinds of great articles like this. Uh, but the founder of this Lydiard Training and Academy is my guest today, Nabi Heshizumi. He is a Japanese guy who studied under Lydiard and actually lived with Lydiard in New Zealand for a while. He later coached in Japan with um, the Hitachi corporate team. Now lives in the U.S. and runs this um, <clears throat> Lydiard Academy nonprofit. He does training clinics, uh, stuff like that, which we'll get into. Um, but I read some of his articles and I thought, I, I just have to try to get this guy on here. Um, so I talked to Nabi last week to get some more of his personal story. And some more insight into what's going on in Japan, that they're, const, uh, that they're consistently producing these great results in the marathon. Uh, so here is that conversation. And since it's been a few days since I talked to him, I've had some time to think about some of the things he said. And I have some thoughts and reactions um, to some of these questions I've brought up so far, um, which I'll talk about at the end after the interview um so here we go i was hoping you could start with your personal background a little bit
1: okay yeah um i actually started running when i watched uh frank shorter winning uh 72 um not munich olympics but his second fukuoka marathon uh of course you know back then uh, fukuoka was a big deal in japan um i was um i guess i was um 12 years old. <laughs> so, um, you know, we, in the winter, we always had, you know, what we call marathon competition throughout the school. Uh, in Japan that means two kilometer. So mile on and a quarter. <laughs> so they call anything beyond 800 meter is a marathon in Japan. Um, so, you know, I, I was inspired. I started running, um, I uh, moved on to middle school and I joined track and field team. And I was actually a triple jumper at first. Um, I was okay, but I wasn't fast. Uh, so I kind of saw already the, the limit there. Uh, but I ended up beating everybody, including the seniors as a freshman. Um, in uh, At the time, the longest distance for middle school. Uh, students in Japan was 2,000 meter. Um, again, a mile and a quarter. So um, I started doing distance running as well as triple jump, and I was actually one time talking to Dave Martin, and I had a record of this regional competition. I won triple jump and 2,000 meter, which is very odd combination. Yeah. <laughs> um so you know i was definitely you know into running but when i went to high school i actually played rugby instead of track and field uh, because i didn't like the way uh, the high school coach was coaching uh you know he was a sprinter so i mean you know he would give you like 50 times 100 meter repeats and stuff like that so um you know i i didn't do uh the official running in high school but you know i still did compete uh you know i was kind of I guess you could say, recruited to compete the regional competition and stuff like that. Um, But uh, uh, my high school hero, uh, running heroes, were Frank Shorter and Bill Rogers and Dick Quacks. And um, I always thought, you know, New Zealand and Australia, I had, I guess, some dreamy feeling about Down Under. And uh, I had an opportunity to become the Rotary Exchange student after high school. So I went to Australia. I stayed in Canberra for a year. And that's when I came across um, the author's book. The, it was a new book called Run the Lydiard Way. So I picked up that book. That was the first book I read from cover to cover in English. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, uh, that was, that was. Very, um, uh, what's the word, um, logic approach to training. And I really got in, in, you know, interested in there. And uh, after I went back to Japan, uh, again, you know, I had an opportunity to go to school in Washington State. So instead of going to school in Japan, uh, I didn't go to university in Japan. So I went to um, actually uh, Washington State. Not Washington State University, but, you know, Eastern Washington University. And um, that's when, uh, you know, it was 1980, and Arthur was very active about coming to the U.S. and doing the clinic. And I met with Arthur. In fact, it was actually Joe Henderson who gave me the address of Arthur Lydiard. So I wrote to him. He told me that he was coming to Seattle. It was 1981, Thanksgiving, the first time I met him, and You know, we kind of corresponded for a while, and I thought, you know, just take a time off. And uh, I took a year off uh, in 1984 and went to New Zealand and and literally actually stayed with Arthur. And actually, you know, after that, so I graduated, I came back to Japan, and, uh, you know, I was teaching English for a while. That's interestingly where I met my wife, who's from Wisconsin, but uh, you know, after university graduated and I went back to Japan, I thought, okay, next time I come back to the U.S., I'll be a tourist. But uh, you know, nice. lo and behold, I met an American girl in Japan and we got married and now I live in Minnesota. <laughs> um, but because of that Lydiard connection and I had a handwritten translation of what we call athletic training, which is actually available on my website, or we can probably talk about it later. Um, but um, I sent that to a couple of coaches, and one happened to be Toshihiko Seko's coach, uh, the late Kiyoshi Nakamura. And he kind of invited me, so I went to Tokyo, met with him, and apparently the word kind of spread. You know, there's kind of this weird Japanese kid who studied under Arthur Lydiard, and uh, I think it was 19... Um, 80 uh, the the Christmas of 88, I was recruited to uh, Hitachi Limited. They were starting women's running team, uh, and the head coach was influenced. He was a student of Nakamura, so he heard about me from Nakamura, and he recruited me. And uh, I became the first um, non-Japanese university graduate Japanese to be hired by Hitachi Limited. <laughs>
0: Wow. I have a couple of questions uh, in there. Um, the first one is when you were a kid and you said your running heroes were uh, Frank Shorter, Bill Roger, Dick Quacks. Um, I'm curious, at that time, um, I guess that was early to mid 70s, were there any um, runners at that same level from Japan yet that could have been heroes for a kid like you at the time?
1: Um, there were a few, yes. Um, But you might actually, moving forward, ask a question about the era of Kimihara, Tsuburaya, stuff like that. That was a little before me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in the 60s. And right. yes, uh, one of the heroes would have been Usami, who was actually favorite at Munich Olympics. He won they used to have what they call pre-Olympic games. You know, they kind of test the stadium and the marathon course and stuff like that. So year before the Olympics, they used to have uh, pre-Olympics international competition. And Usami won Munich pre-Olympics in 71, uh, I guess in a time of somewhere around 212, thirteen, which at the time was, you know, very respectful yeah. time. And also he was the first Japanese to have won fukuoka marathon which was local and of course you know fukuoka was the unofficial um international world marathon championships and he was the first japanese to win and at the time i think he ran third fastest time two uh, two uh 37 i believe so and actually that was kind of a big deal and i remember i must have been fifth grade sixth grade and uh you know, he, his name was actually in one of the textbooks as as kind of a sporting <laughs> hero. So, yeah, I mean, that was a big deal. So Usami was uh, actually one of the, the Japanese guys. But f- between the era of Kimihara Tsuburaya and Usami as well, uh, until Seiko, there was a bit of a drought by Japanese yeah. marathon runners.
0: Okay. Well, that makes sense, the timing of being in that drought and whatnot. Um, the other question I wanted to ask about what you said so far is, you know, when you started corresponding with Arthur Lydiard, you went to actually live with him for a time. Um, it sounds like you were there and studying under him more as a coach than as an athlete. Is that accurate? Um, or were, you all, were you training really heavily yourself or were you more training of learning how to coach? I, I both.
1: I was trying to be a decent runner. I never had a mark. You know, my, my PR, uh, you know, I had a marathon of, you know, 244, which is okay. But, I mean, you know, you talk to some of the big guys and they say, oh, it's a glorified jogging, you know. And, uh, you know, 5K was, you know, I tried to break 15 minutes in high school and I couldn't. So that was kind of my level. So I wanted to improve my time. So I, I tried, uh, but I mean, you know, I was, I was quite fascinated with the training system, you know, how, how it was put together and, and it just makes sense. And uh, so, you know, that aspect of it, I, I was really kind of drawn into it. And uh, the funny story actually was, uh, you know, Arthur's biography, uh, The Master Coach, um, right before he passed away, 2004 he signed in that book for me and he put my star pupil. So I, <laughs> I read it and I said, to I said to him, like, you know, so you're putting me in the same rank as Peter Snell. And he looked at me with a smirk and he said, "Not as a runner. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I wasn't, you know, I was never quite a, a runner, a, a good runner, but in a way that kind of helped me when I became Hitachi coach because I was at the level of woman's national mm. level runner. So, you know, as a coach, my job, one of my jobs was to, to pace runners. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I was actually very good at like, you know, if the, the, uh, the workout was supposed to be like, you know, whatever the pace, um, 95 seconds per lap for, I mean, literally, you know, we did 20K tempo run on a track. So mm-hmm. 50 laps, we were going boom, 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 95, 95, 95. I was very good at that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would pace the runners and they would take off in the last couple of miles or whatever. But, uh, so you know, it, it worked out really well that way.
0: So it sounds like you were the original link between... The Lydiard system and the Japanese system that kind of uh, started that connection. Is that, were you the first one that kind of got that started in oh, Japan?
1: No, 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 not at all. <clears throat> actually, okay, okay. Actually, see, the, the Lydiard success was 1960 Rome Olympics, you know, where Snail right. won five, uh, the 800 and uh, Maury Halberg won the. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sucking a, a cough drop. You know, I got COVID months ago. Oh, Um, But anyway, 1960 was the the success of Lydiard, and the following Olympic, the host country was Japan. It was Tokyo Olympics, the original Tokyo Mm -hmm. Olympics in 64, and Japan was pretty good with marathon, and it was always focusing on longer distance marathon, uh, maybe 10,000 on track, but uh, the marathon was it, and Japan had a bismal result in um, 56 and, oh, actually 52, starting from uh, Zatopek, And my Zatopec track runner winning the marathon was just absolutely eye-opening to Japanese marathoning. Uh, But they kind of stuck with that marathon is a different event. It's the endurance event. So they had a really bad showing in Melbourne in uh, 56 and then 60 Olympics was just terrible. So the federation thought, well, we got to do something about it. And at the time, incidentally, the head of the federation in Japan was the uh, Mikio Oda, who was the known as God of Track and Field in Japan. He was the first Japanese to win the gold medal in triple jump. So there's kind of a connection with triple jump and, and you know, my background mm-hmm. too. Um, but anyway, he looked at the world scene, and at the time, 1960 was either Gershler, the interval training, or Lydia training, this new up-and-coming training method. And uh, I I read this in the biography of uh, Tsuguraya, actually, the guy who won the bronze medal in the Tokyo Olympic marathon and, you know, later committed suicide. Um, But he thought that interval training can improve your time quickly, but you don't quite, you know, you don't know when you peak. But Lydia Mm. training is really peak on the day and, and the long-term gradual uh, development. So they decided we'll go with Lydiard. So they actually sent top distance and the marathon runners to New Zealand back in 1963, in fact, twice. And both Kimihara and Tsuburaya were on the team. And uh, interesting, the team, uh, team leader at the time, the team coach or manager was Kiyoshi Nakamura. So the connection actually was, starting in uh, 1962, 1963. And interestingly, when I was in New Zealand, uh, Arthur was busy, you know, his wife was, uh, she got cancer and and she actually died the day I left New Zealand. Uh, But, you know, Arthur was pretty uh, occupied, nevertheless. And uh, the guy who helped me actually day-to-day training and, you know, I went to his place almost every other weekend, and ran with him was ray puckett and uh, ray puckett was the guy who actually hosted nakamura in 1963 so mm. there was some connection but i was by no mean the first connection with the Japanese. Oh, okay
0: i At see least. so that first um experiment of the federation sending their top runners to spend time in new zealand and learn the system what was the result of that you know the next olympics 1964 uh, actually it was
1: it was very quick the re- positive result um at the time the one of the guys uh the really small guy he actually later became the university uh coach but uh, nakao uh, he became the first japanese to break 220 and you know again you know this is way back in 1962 63 time uh then after that uh, Kimihara was one of the earlier guys, but, uh, um, he, I, I believe he ran, he was like 22, 23 and set the national record in the marathon pre-Olympic 1963, Tokyo, uh, pre-Olympic games. And, uh, um, Terasawa, uh, also another guy on the, on the training camp group. Uh, he broke Abibi's world record 215. I think he ran 215.14 or something. And at the time, that was the world record. And so he broke Abibi's record. And uh, moving forward, Tsuburaya won the bronze medal and Kimihara 68 won the silver medal in New Mexico. So, yeah, when I was in New Zealand and I talked to guys like Barry McGee, he said, yeah, you know, Japan owed Lydia two Olympic medals, the 64 and 68
0: yeah so going back to your story you um you talked about having the translation of the book and sending it to some coaches and then getting recruited to coach yourself um how long did you coach for that corporate team
1: i was there for three years okay which is kind of short um, but I, I there was some dispute um uh, you know, I probably shouldn't say too much negative thing about <laughs> myself and yeah. the head coach. Um, the uh, there was too much pressure for the from the company to get result, and mm. they started. You know, within you know within three years. You know, maybe I could have been a little more patient, but the the company started pushing like, if the you know this is a young ladies uh you know we're talking about 18 up to 23 years old and mm-hmm. uh some of them uh fresh out from high school and they started saying well you know if you if they can't meet the time uh the the target uh mm-hmm. they they should be kicked out which yeah. is actually not you know the like i said Lydia, long-term development philosophy and uh, right. especially I was as a coach, I would go and recruit those young ladies and uh, three of them from Hokkaido all the way from Hokkaido, Northern Ireland, down to Tokyo, and they moved, you know, left the, the family and all that, you know, they were committed. And if they were committed, we should be committed as well. So, you know, there was right. there was a philosophical difference. And like I said, you know, I could have been a little more patient. Uh, you know maybe my days would come later. But my wife is American and uh, living in Japanese society. And probably one of the questions you might want to ask, we were gone 100 days a year. Out of 365 days, uh, we were gone for training camp 100 days a year. And oh, wow. if you look at the scene right now, they most Japanese corporate team runners are probably anywhere from 150 to 200 days a year gone for training camp. And it was really hard on my wife, who can't really speak in, uh, Japanese, and living alone sure. in a strange city. And uh, that was a lot of strain, uh, you know, in that respect as well. So we decided, you know, it's time just kind of pack up and come back to the U.S.
0: Are there training camps far away somewhere in altitude or something? Where do uh, they go?
1: as well as, yeah. Um, a lot of runners now uh, go to Kumin, China because it's closer. Not much um, the the time, you know, the jet lag. Uh, but right. they still come to Boulder. They come to uh, New Mexico. Albuquerque. Oh, okay. uh, they go to Flagstaff. There was uh, Osaka who finished I believe he was 16, uh, 16 uh, 21 Tokyo Olympics marathon, uh, he's based in Flagstaff and the guy who just won, uh, Twin Cities marathon a month ago, um, or three weeks ago, I should say, um, he's training with Osako in, uh, Flagstaff. So there are mm-hmm. a lot of Japanese, they don't, uh, some do go to Europe, but kind of rare. They go to, uh, I think Switzerland, uh, the Alps, to do altitude training.
0: Interesting. Well, I want to ask you about, um, you know, the continuation of your story and the, you know, the tr- littered, littered training and academy um, and everything. But first I was could we pick back up on the, um, the the transition that they took when after the 1960 Olympics and then sent the guys down to um, to New yeah. Zealand to learn the littered system? What would you say were the biggest changes that occurred going from the old method to the Lydiard system at that time?
1: Um, Interestingly, when Arthur died in 2004, um, there's a publication, quarterly publication in Japan called uh, uh, Running Academy uh, magazine. And they had a tribute to Lydiard. They asked me to write about Arthur Lydiard as a person. But they actually recruited all those guys, Kimihara. Uh, there's a uh, the track man, uh, Funai. And uh, the first guy actually to employ Lydia's training method after Arthur actually went to Japan, I believe it was two, uh, 1962. Um, uh, the guy who was a teammate of Kimihara. Um, but anyways, you know, there were like 20 people that, who were involved with the the Lydia coming to Japan and the runners going to New Zealand and train the Lydia and they interviewed them and they sent me that magazine. That was quite fascinating to me because, you know, I wouldn't have known those things because I, you know, I probably met with three out of those people and, and talked mm-hmm. to them personally, but, you know, I, I wouldn't have known any other people. Um, but they said, number one, the under Lydia method you run every day. You know they they still had like a rest day back in the 60s. You know even for the marathon runners, and they probably had to because they were running. You know main training was like 10k, 20k, quite fast. So they were training like almost race pace every time they go out and run. So they would do the warm up and do on the track. They do 10k time trial and then they go out and, and do 20K time trial on the road next day, that kind of stuff. So they get pretty tired. So they they took several days off. And the under Lydia, they used to seven days a week is minimum. So they started running every day and they slowed down and jacked up the mileage. So back then, I think they were running anywhere from, uh, pardon me for using the metric, but maybe sure. 400, 500 kilometers A month, which is about 300 miles a a month, and uh, they they really jack it up, and now now they are kind of shooting for thousand kilometers a a month, which is 620 miles a a month. So um, yeah, the mileage really became the king, and and uh, you know once again, not so much the more the better kind of philosophy. But uh, yeah, they they slowed down and they started running more. Another interesting thing, like I said, the the first guy who employed Lydiard, um, I think he employed the Lydiard peaking system in the final like two months period leading up to Lake Biwa Marathon. And I I can't remember if he won, but he PR'd. Uh, But he said something like, uh, they never did some sprint work. So, you know, to me, Lydiard really blended the long distance running as well as speed running. You know, a lot of people think Lydiard is 100 miles a week, long, slow distance, but he really included a lot of sprinting work for distance runners as well. And uh, so you mean
0: that that guy said before Lydiard, they never did any kind of sprint work? Is that what you mean? Not
1: sprint work. Right. To them, fast speed work is like 2k fast and do it three times kind of stuff that's fast run for marathon but Lydiard was really doing like 50 50 sprint sprint float sprint float or you know 100 meter strides and stuff like that they they did a lot of those workouts and he said he wasn't used to that kind of workout and uh, there's a there's actually a, a great picture of uh, subraya and a couple of other runners doing sprint work at Auckland domain in New Zealand. And uh, Tsuburaya did say something like, you know, we've never done workout like this. So,
0: yeah. Um, So, from that initial uh, change that those top, you know, that top group made all the way like, you know, through up till today, do you think there's been any more evolution in the Japanese system? Is it, has it changed from. That time uh, anymore, or is it have they kind of kept it relatively the same ever since that initial change?
1: Um, I would say when you look at Japanese marathon training, um, I, I view coach Nakamura and so brothers are the ones who really kind of finalize the Japanese marathon training program as we see it today. And whether they knew it or not, there's a linear line to it. Um, What I mean is they do a bulk of long, slow distance. And, you know, I sent you that kind of a stoic, uh, the conditioning period. You know, they would do 60 minutes in the morning, 90 minutes during the day, 60 minutes in the evening, three times a day, every day, 60, 90, 60, 60, 90, 60. They just tried to beef it up. And they they do that and slightly different format that but that's that's kind of from Lydia. <laughs> and when it comes to peaking, uh, Nakamura and Soul Brothers really started doing a lot of, you know, they call it tempo run, but thirty k, forty k, tempo run, time trial, whatever you call it. But they they run close to marathon pace. 40k, and that became signature marathon training. Interestingly, that happened, um, I believe it was 1977, uh, Fukuoka Marathon. Bill Rogers won that race. But one of the So brothers, Shigeru So, the older twin brothers, um, he was second to last. He was like 52nd or something. And he got so mad that he... He decided to try one more time for Beppu marathon in February. So they have basically have two and a half months to prepare, but he trained like crazy, but he was mad. And he just did at the time, really crazy training. You know, he just ran a marathon and he would do 40 K tempo, tempo run two weeks later, another 30 K tempo, you know, stuff like that. And and he wrote a book about it and it's pretty fascinating. But comes Beppu Marathon, he ran the second fastest marathon in history, 209 or six. And wow. he became yeah. the first Japanese to break 210. And he went back, looked at what he did. And it was that long tempo run. And mm. if anything, that Fukuoka that he bombed out was a part of training. He did 26-mile tempo run. Oh he put together and he said, "Oh, you know, you do anywhere from six to eight times, thirty to forty k tempo run leading up to marathon, gradually picking up the pens. Now, I've discussed this with a good friend of mine from uh, Japan, uh, Toshinari Takahoka. He, he's a tw- uh, two or runner, and I I argued him, and of course, you know, he didn't argue back, but I argued him that this is the pattern of Lydiard. You know, he He was the one who did time trial for track. So you would do twice a week 5K time trial in the final six weeks. Now, of course, marathon, you can't do twice a week 40K tempo run or time trial run. So you would stretch it out. But I mean, it's the same pattern. You gradually pick up the pace, but you're teaching your body to run 40K. So for the Japanese marathon runners, you know, they would do uh, in Toshi's case, you know, he would do 40K uh, somewhere around 216, 219, something like that. So it's somewhere around 230 marathon pace. But he right. would do like three or four 40K, another three or so 30K, and a couple of 20K as a speed work. So you run 40K, slightly slower than target marathon pace but you would do 20K right at the marathon target pace.
0: Hmm. Um, When we say, you know, the Japanese system, quote, um, you know, today in Japan, how much, um, how similar are the different groups to each other? And, you know, the country as a whole, um, is it even... Is it accurate to say the Japanese system, like as if most of them are basically doing the same philosophy of training? Whereas I think in the United States there probably is no American way. There's so many different groups and coaches that are doing a variety of different approaches. So, how accurate is it even to say the Japanese way today? Is it? Do you think there's more um, cohesion within Japan than there is in other, like say, in the U.S.
1: I would say more cohesion, yes, because, uh, like I said, Nakamura really was the guy, you know, because, you know, he he coached Seko and Seko became, after Tsuburaya and Kimihara, you know, we had probably 20 years drought and all of a sudden Seko became the national hero. Um, I mean, you know, when you think about, like, commercial, there was, he was the first athlete probably in Japan, amateur athlete to be on a commercial because, I mean, he was such a well-known figure, uh, they literally produced Tokyo Marathon for him. It, it's his kind of a, you know, the showtime, you know, <laughs> the yeah. everybody come around and along the course and watch Seiko run kind of thing. Um, but Nakamura was the the probably the main training, you know, when it comes to marathon running, he, he's the figure. Um, Coach Koide came after that. Uh, Koide coached uh, Yuko Arimori, who won two medals in the Olympics, uh, silver and bronze in uh, 92 and 96. And then Naoko Takahashi won the gold medal in 2000. And Koide coached him. But I actually didn't know until I read his book. But Coach Koide, when he came to Tokyo, he met with Nakamura. And Nakamura actually took care of him. So there's definitely a Nakamura... Uh, whatever you call it, training philosophy under uh, Coach Koide's training, and um, Reiko Tosa, who uh, who was third at Boston in 2006, I actually agented her, so I, I brought her to Boston, and uh, 2007 uh, she won the bronze medal in the World Championships in Osaka, and her coach, uh, Coach Watanabe, um, he was a Good friend of Coach Koide, uh, you know when we when we got together in Boulder, you know we we used to visit him. Uh, you know he had a house in Boulder now. Um, so the training, yeah, I mean I talk to Watanabe about training all the time, and you know you can see Nakamura's uh, training method in it, and it's it's from Coach Koide. Um, in mm-hmm. fact, Koide was actually a high school high school teacher and a coach for Watanabe. So the training system kinds of a similarity there. So when you when you look at most coaches in Japan, yeah, you can see part of Nakamura there, part of uh, the Soul Brothers there. And uh, uh, some of the big names now, uh, the coach um, uh, Sakaguchi, who was the training partner of Seiko. Uh, he at one time, this is back in the days, 19 early 1990s, still sub-210 was a big deal. Uh, he had five runners on his team, sub-210s. Wow. And uh, like I said, you know, he was a training partner of Seko, so the training is there. Now the hottest university team uh, won Hakone Ekiden like four times, Aoyama Gakuin University. Their coach, Coach Hara, uh, was on the same team as Sakaguchi. So, once again, you know, the the same training philosophy spreads.
0: Right. Well, that's that's really interesting, and it makes sense that there is, um, you know, that similarity across different groups within the country. Because when you look at uh, the depth of just number of people running certain times in the marathon, I mean, yeah, Kenya and Ethiopia kind of dominate at the top tier, but... The depth of – I think most people in the West, maybe definitely in the U.S., probably just have no idea the depth of Japanese marathoning. Um, I mean, I was looking up stats this morning. Just in this year alone, 2022, um, on the men's side, there have been 44 men to run under 210, Mm. and in the U.S. there have been five. Yeah um so and i i wonder if part of that is because most of them are running their marathons either you know in uh tokyo osaka or maybe some in europe you don't see as many run some of the american um the majors in the u.s so maybe most americans who follow running just aren't aware because they're not seeing them as much um but i wanted to ask you about the um the kind of structure of the system um you were talking to me offline earlier about how you know the the groups the uh, athletes are kind of given more time to develop in the corporate system. Yeah. Um. So I was wondering if you could explain how that works. You know, if you're a Japanese athlete going through school, you know, a teenager, what's the progression that you take professionally to, um, to join a group, and how does that work?
1: Well, you know, I was I was thinking about that. You know, when you first approached me, and and I, I think the biggest difference. Uh, between the U.S. system and the Japanese system, and I'm, you know, you know, not, not trying to say that we, we are better.
0: <laughs> you know? No, no, sure.
1: Uh, but I mean, you, you can you can definitely see, and, and and also even in the U.S., you know, the the groups who are following the same philosophy, you know, I mean, they they are actually uh, making some uh, uh, the breakthroughs too. Uh, But the Japanese, in most cases, and and forget collegiate athletes, you know, Hakone, Ekiden, and all of that, um, I would say most uh, athletes, the corporate team level athletes, they are recruited after high school. So after high school, you know, I was part of that recruiting, you know, as a coach, you know, I would go visit high school, talk to high school coaches, you know, talk to runners and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, it it is a big incentive to high school kids to be able to join Hitachi. And as you know, it's a lifelong employment. So you become a Hitachi employee and run for Hitachi team. Uh, in fact, you know, those three girls from Hokkaido, northern part of Japan, we we still communicate. And they uh, actually, three of them, and and out of three, two of them are still within Hitachi working. And we're talking about, I think, their late 40s, early 50s. And, uh, you know, they retired as an athlete, of of course. Uh, but they stayed on, on uh Hitachi company. So it, it's a it's a big incentive. And during the early stage, uh, so we're talking about 18, 19, 20 years old, um, we, at least, you know, it's, it's a company's you know, team, philosophy, you, could, you you might say, um, when you become a good athlete, you get the opportunity to go overseas and go different places, you know, I mean, get paid, um, but young athletes don't have that, but they are the ones who need that kind of opportunity, so we took them to different places, training camp, we actually took, you know, eight young girls, like I said, between 18 and 23 years old, all the way to New Zealand for four weeks, training camp. And, you know, they, they were just barely scratching the surface to, to compete nationally. But we thought they are the ones who need that encouragement. So, like I said, you know, they, they take 100 days a year off, you know, are training camp. Um, and, and also they are training uh, their obligation to the office uh, at Hitachi. They go to the office between nine and one o'clock. So you actually do the office work. You do morning workout. You you know take a shower, have breakfast, go to work a little later. You know instead of eight nine o'clock, but then after lunch and one o'clock, you take off, go back to the the dorm, and uh, you know get ready for afternoon workout, which usually stay starts at uh, three o'clock. So they still work, and and what it does is you still have the office. Um, Uh, experience so when you get hurt instead of getting cut off you know you go back to the office you know when you when you can't train uh you might walk you might do therapy and all that kind of stuff you know alternate exercise but if you can't do any of that you go back to normal work hour eight to eight to five so what it does is it actually builds your future career as well now, I know America tried to do that. Uh, you know, I remember Brian Sell uh, from Hansen's. You know, he was, was a kind of a big deal that he works for Home Depot. But, I mean, it was during that Olympic period, a few months' time. I, I don't know what he was doing at Home Depot, but maybe stand up and greet people or, you know, for <laughs> commercial or whatever. After the Olympics, he's gone. And it's, right. it's a very short term, but the Japanese system is a long term. They, they develop. And like I said, when you are hurt, as an American professional athlete, it's, it's it's one of the worst nightmare. If you get hurt, there's no income. But in Japan, they still take care of you. Still, you you have to do the office work, but right. they still take care of you. You're not going to be fired.
0: So when you get recruited from high school, do you even go to university? And is in Japan, is university athletics as much of a big deal as it is in the U.S.?
1: Um, University is not as big. I I think the corporate is is bigger. Now, as you probably know, Hakone Ekiden and there are a couple of Ekiden road relays. um, They are big. And uh, one of the biggest dilemma, I think, that Japanese have right now is because most big-time collegiate athletes, that's their goal. So they're done with Hakone Ekiden. They graduate from university they're done. They, you know, whether it's mentally burnt out or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I said, the guy who um, uh, won the Twin Cities Marathon three weeks ago, he won Fukuoka Marathon in 2021. So he's a damn good runner, 207. But he was a Hakone Ekiden runner. And after he graduated, he actually, he thought about quitting running and he was um, actually, uh, applied and and he was accepted to work for a, a, a candy company. But he decided, okay, you know, I'll just give it a one more shot. And I think right before he graduated, he ran his first marathon and I think he ran 208. So he thought, oh, you know, maybe I have a shot. So he decided instead of going to a candy company, you know, join his old coach's company, G, uh, GMO, I think it was a computer company. And oh. uh, now he's a corporate uh, professional runner but the, a lot of collegiate good collegiate runners you know they they tend to just quit after the, the you know the senior year now there's some exceptions there's a woman young woman who um i think he uh, she she finished eighth or, or ninth in the world championships 5000 meter at uh, eugene uh, this past spring um but she graduated from high school, she joined the company's team. But then online I got to know this guy, and he said, I'm the professor at Doshisha University and and my student, you know, Tanaka, Nanzomi Tanaka, and I said, Oh, you know, I thought she was a corporate team. And he said, Yes, she belongs to the corporate team, but she's taking my class. So some athletes seems like you know it's it's a new system i i wasn't aware of it but some Hmm. athletes now they still take college courses still belong to the corporate team and compete for them
0: okay so in the corporate system like that i'm curious from the corporation's perspective you know hitachi whoever it is what is their incentive to support these athletes for such a long period of time when i it sounds like relative to other non-athlete employees maybe these runners are actually not as productive you know finan- economically speaking if they're taking 100 days off for training only working 9 to 1 that kind of thing so i'm just curious what is the you know so from the american perspective i see you know there's some shoe companies that might sponsor some runners and it's sort of like marketing for them these guys whoever is running oh we, you wear our shoes you're kind of brand exposure for us and they see it as a kind of investment that way but i'm curious from the japanese corporations what's their incentive in this system financially speaking
1: they televise most major marathons in japan I mean, literally start to finish. Um, there was, um, so Hitachi decided to have a woman's running, and this is, you know, we, we call it running team, but it, it's Ekiden, Road Relay. Uh, that was 19, um, I, I believe, yeah, 88. So that's that's when I started. Um, early, uh, no, I would say mid-1980s, uh, the woman's, running just took off like wildfire in Japan. There was a tiny little woman by the name of Matsuno, um, Akemi Matsuno. Um, she, I mean, you know, when when women's running wasn't that big deal, but they still had the Ekiden relay. And she had like, you know, she passed 15 runners or something like that. And she was kind of dramatic. She always, collapsed at the finish and you know Japanese <laughs> yeah. love like oh you know you you gave it your best kind of thing really? and, and so she became a really big name and all of a sudden women's ekiden I mean you know the corporate team started having a women's ekiden team right and left um, she worked for this small supermarket and the funny name niko niko market or something like that nobody heard that name I mean, even today, even even me living in America for thirty years, I still remember that name. Why? Because she had that Niko Do logo on her chest, and she ran marathon. She ran ekiden. Yeah, I mean that's. I have read somewhere what's what's the the value of say someone leading the marathon, major marathon in Japan. So mm-hmm. two hours, you see that logo. Right. I can't remember what it was, but I mean, it, it was like, holy crap. It was like, you know, $6 million or something like that.
0: Right. So it does make, so it actually makes financial sense. It's not yeah. just a uh, cultural thing. I mean, it's a business decision they're making yes. to sponsor yes. these athletes. In
1: fact, a couple of years ago when I went back to Japan, I picked up this book and it was really fascinating. Um, the trend of the, the school logo for Hakone, like I said, Hakone Ekiden actually. Turned out to be the most popular running event in Japan. It's it's held literally five hours, two days, um, January second and third in the morning, and and the rating is like you know unbel- unbelievable, like you know thirty five percent or something. You know that many people wow. actually watch it, and this is a university. and Let's face it, in the, I mean it's it's a business for university too. More students come to their university, the more money. And the logo, they used to have really funky logo. And, you know, you see the logo and you have no idea what that university means. But the trend in the last 10 years when Hakone Ekiden became really popular was either straightforward Japanese character saying your name or like uh, Tokai University, which won Hakone a couple of times in the last couple of years, Uh, they have a big T. So now the trend of the school logo is something much easily readable.
0: Wow. So it sounds like the the reason this system works and the these companies are able to support these athletes is because the general population in Japan um running is such a popular spectator sport more like kind of like american football it sounds like i mean is is running you know whether it's road relays or marathon is that the number one most popular spectator sport in japan or are there others that compete with it
1: Uh, uh, apparently it turned out it's not the most popular most popular sports uh, are kind of a toss-up between sumo wrestling and the, the baseball those are two most popular sport, sporting events. But it's up there. It's up, up there. there in... yeah, definitely top yeah. top five, top ten. Yeah, definitely up there. Wow. Very and, and the, interesting. Fact that the fact that they, they literally televise. I mean, I, I mean, hate to say, I don't even watch, you know, they just had the, the, what is it, Chicago Marathon. I don't even watch it. The cover, American coverage is just absolutely terrible.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, you know, We got to move on because there's some other things we want to hit on here. But that that could be a whole nother conversation in itself. Just the the sponsorship uh, system and how the popularity in the general public became to be that way. That's a whole we could probably spend an hour just on that. But um, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, from the time you ended your uh, coaching with Hitachi, how did you get to what you're doing now with the Lydiard Training and Academy and, um, you know, what you're doing? kind of with these clinics and that, How? what was your progression after your coaching time?
1: Well, I actually pretty much gave up on coaching or running uh, in the U.S. So, you know, I, I moved back to the U.S. in 91. And uh, so 92, uh, I, I joined this, uh, the Japanese-owned cosmetic company in Minnesota. And I was actually there probably longer than I should have, but uh, I was there for, I think, seven years i was running myself but not much and um you know i had i guess somewhere deep down the dream of like you know can we incorporate this japanese system i put together some proposal you know i sent it out to some shoe companies you know i got to meet dick brown uh former uh the head coach or the manager of uh Nike's Athletics West. And we, we kind of worked together, tried to put together this corporate system. Or, you know, I call this semi-corporate system. Uh, you know, Dick had something really nice going in Eugene. And I, I thought maybe, you know, we can help company by allocating some, you know, good collegiate runners with good brain. You know, I mean, don't waste these people's brain either, you know, just because they are good runner. So, you know, the, you know, trying to approach the, uh, the companies, uh, you know, Minnesota, we have, uh, you know, big companies, 3M, Metronix, all those companies who could easily help uh, mm-hmm. athletes as well as, like I said, you know, um, you know somebody with uh, um, science background or computer background, you know, just give them a half a day work and just hang in there for just let them work half a day for three years and see where it goes. And, uh, you know, if the, the runner decides to retire, just go back to, you know, the regular work, uh, yeah. it never picked up, you know, maybe I didn't try hard enough, uh, but my company kind of went downhill and I, from there, went to Uh, right. uh At the time, it's called uh, uh, yeah, CNS. <laughs> CNS is the name of the company. That distributed breeze ride. Mm.
0: Um,
1: I worked there for like uh, I can't remember four years, five years. Um, But once again, the company was bought up by European company. But I I worked closely with the uh, inventor of breeze ride, um, who had three percent of the sales of breeze ride, and that was enough for him to be, you know very well off
0: financially.
1: And so when the company was bought out, he approached me and he encouraged me, hey, why don't you start a nonprofit organization? I can help you. So I started a nonprofit organization called Five Circles in Minnesota that promotes uh, running, basically. And this was uh, year 2001. And 2004, Arthur approached me to organize Uh, US lecture tour, which turned out to be his last one. He died two more clinics to go in Texas, Uh, Mm -hmm. but the Five Circles sponsored Arthur's last 2004 lecture tour. So from there, yeah, um, you know, we still have Five Circles, so Lydia Training and Academy is under the umbrella of Five Circles.
0: Okay. Now, what are you doing with the uh, St. Louis Marathon you mentioned, um, and the clinics there?
1: Um, so, yeah, we have an online training program based on Lydia training. It's called Running Wizard. Uh, it's runningwizard.net. And uh, there's a, a very strong ally. Uh, he's the co-owner of a running store in St. Louis by the name of Running Niche, uh, Bob Dyer. And he approached the uh, St. Louis Marathon. I guess its official name is Go! Exclamation mark, St. Louis. <laughs> And, you know, they host a lot of races and stuff like that. Uh, But uh, St. Louis Marathon is in April, first weekend of April. And they decided to use Running Wizard as the official training program for St. Louis uh, Marathon. And uh, so it's about, you know, 20 plus weeks before St. Louis Marathon. And they wanted me to come out and and do the uh, promotion of Running Wizard and St. Louis Marathon. But I thought this might be a good opportunity. You know, I used to do this Lydiot Clinic. It's literally two and a half days plus shoes and and, and form. So it's it's three full days. Uh, but, uh, you know, we decided to do use one weekend, which is November 11, 12, 13, to do the Lydiot Clinic and uh, do the promotion of the St. Louis Marathon and the Running Wizard.
0: Okay, so you're going to St. Louis for yep. that weekend. And so people can come do the clinic and then they, if they want to sign up for the training wizard program for the St. Louis marathon.
1: Yeah. I tried to do zoom, but you know, just as every educator in the world noticed that uh, it's different, it's, it's a good convenient alternative, but it's not a substitute.
0: (laughs) Right. Yes. Um, so if you're doing the St. Louis Marathon, there there's a special promotion for a Running Wizard, is that right?
1: Yeah, correct. Yeah, but, but anybody
0: I mean, can go to runningwizard.net and well, yeah, yeah. do the program.
1: A- anybody who's interested in the clinic, uh, if you go to LydiardAcademy.org website and look for Lydiard Clinic page, and you can sign okay. up there.
0: Uh, so the program does it have all types of programs for different distances, or is it focused on the marathon?
1: Oh no, we we have everything from five thousand. Oh, excuse me, fifteen hundred, five k, ten k, half marathon, and marathon.
0: Okay, very interesting. So this would this be comparable to sort of um, like if somebody bought the uh, Jack Daniels training formula book or something like that? Like it's sort of you can personalize it to your relative. Um, ability or, you know, how does it actually work when you sign yeah, up for it? Uh,
1: it's, it's you, you basically plug in your current level, which is hopefully, you know, your most recent race time. Um, but, you know, if you don't have it, you know, we have what we call VO2 max interview. Um, but I would actually encourage people who can actually run, you know, meaning like, you know, if you're a real beginner, you know, you can barely get out and run. Uh, you, you can use this VO2 max interview and, and we have a beginner's program as well. You know, it's starting from 15 minutes up. Um, but if you have um, the, you know, enough fitness to go out and run, you know, I, I would encourage you actually to go to a local school track and do four laps and plug in as a mile time. So that's your current level. And yes. So, you know, it kind of gives you the, the training pace and, depending on what you plug in as your longest run, uh, we go by duration, not the distance. So Mm -hmm. if you can run one hour, here's a starting point, here's your plan, you know, hour and a half and two hours. And uh, I I think the biggest thing about this training program is that uh, when you start until the target race, uh, some people have 24 weeks and that's the full, full length training plan. But some people don't have enough time, you know. Some people have 16 weeks. Some people have, you know, 20 weeks, whatever. But depending on your background, uh, it, it'll give you the the appropriate ratio of conditioning phase and hill training and interval, and etc.
0: Wow! So that sounds like a very uh, solid, reliable uh, source for a guide because, and it's it's all. Kind of based in the Lydiard philosophy, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I I would say if you ask Arthur Lydiard, okay, I'm starting today, and I my my target race is this day, and this is how many weeks we have. What kind of training should I do? This is the plan he would give you. I, wow. I mean, I I really believe that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, that's very. Uh, I have to check that out. That's a uh, very interesting. Sounds. Um a lot better than some of the kind of uh, you know you know some of these programs out there you don't know where this advice is coming from or you know who you know what their track record of these people are but this sounds like something where it's it's based in the philosophy of you know one of the most successful coaches ever to live so that's uh
1: well I, another big thing is like you know just this morning i received an email you know the one of the ladies who's uh, running St. Louis Marathon, so she signed up and she said, "Well, I, I want to run 3:30 for the marathon. You know, how can I pick that 3:30 marathon?" And I said, "It's not based on what you want to do; it's based on where you are." But I mean, that's right. one of the most frequently asked questions. You know, my Boston qualifying time is 3:40. You know, how can I train 3:40? And I said, "You can't pick your training that way." But right. most people do, and they end up getting hurt.
0: Yeah. Right, that's a good point. Um, Well, on that practical note, there, do you have a few more minutes that I could ask you a few more practical questions about running? Okay. Um, You know, we talked about how you know the in the early sixties, Lydiard kind of transformed the way that the Japanese started training for the marathon. Um, And then it, there's still a very strong Lydiard thread even through all the way today, but it's kind of maybe not exactly the same format as it was back then. And you mentioned the uh, the kind of base period of like three times a day, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, 60 minutes. Um, and I had always kind of heard that the Japanese were really big on just high volume at relatively low intensity. Um, so my question is, do you think if there has been any shift – um slightly away from, you know, the exact Lydiard method. Do you think it has been toward higher, a little more volume than Lydiard would prescribe and lower intensity overall? Is that an accurate characterization? Um
1: Um yes yes and no. Um I I think and I'm I'm not being prejudiced about this, but you know we we always joke about like you know Japanese never invent anything. You know we bring in other people's idea or invention and make it better.
0: Right. <laughs> now, yeah.
1: Did they really make lydierd better? I, I I don't know, and I wouldn't necessarily say it. I would definitely say that they incorporated lydierd peaking pattern doing the. You know, I, I was just thinking about it, you know, anybody who purchased Running Wizard, uh, you know, I get the, the email address and I send out monthly newsletter. And I, I, you know, every time after 15th of the month, you know, I kind of have to, you know, like, oh, I got to write this month's newsletter. So I'm kind of working on it. And I, one line in his book, he said, you give your body certain exercise to do often enough, you be efficient at it. So that's the same thing as running distance races. So. The problem, I think, a lot of Western runners faced, particularly back in the 90s and early 2000s, remember the name Dave Morris?
0: It's not ringing a bell for me.
1: America had a drought for the marathon. Of course, 2000, Sydney Olympics, they only had one athlete competing, the marathon, men and women. He was, at that time, the marathon runner. And... I, I had no idea, but this guy actually went to, I think he ran for Toyota. He went to Japan, ran for Toyota.
0: This American guy did.
1: American guy. Yeah, Dave Morris. Out of blue, he ran 209 at Chicago. And all of a sudden, Boone, he's the, the new American hope. And and you know he's going to be the Olympic hopeful and this and that. Never hear about him ever since. Now, I ran into him, I believe it was 2002. Um, uh, Twin Cities Marathon. And I asked him, you know, why did you leave Japan and come back? And, you know, what are you doing now? And he said, oh, I hated Japanese system. You know, they do all this long run and long, fast, you know, 30K, 40K tempo run. And I was always tired. And I love doing 400 meter repeats. So, you know, just left Toyota and came back to the US. He, I think, joined the group in Albuquerque or something. Now he's doing the repeat." Never ran as fast, and uh, you know I, I talked to some Japanese coaches and not Toyota, but you know Japanese coach and you know who remembered Dave Morris, and he said, "Well, let's look at what your objective is. You know what you want to do in the training or run well in the tra- in the race." And he ran well doing Japanese system in the race, but he didn't like that training. He came back to the U.S. and never ran as fast. Now. Um, so I think Japanese system doing 30K, 40K tempo run works. Now, you have to, Koide used to say that you have to build your legs so your body can handle that kind of workout. Now, interestingly, the Lydia used to say you have to build your aerobic base by doing 100 miles a week so you can manage doing a lot of anaerobic training intervals. You know, it's a more of a metabolic uh reason to do the long distance marathon type of training but marathon coaches in japan are saying that they have to do that long slow distance so they can build their legs so they can do those 40k 30k tempo run slightly different thinking but it's it's the same same basis so I, i really think japanese knowingly or not knowingly adapted and employed Lydia principles for, for the track event to marathon. And uh, I, I think it's really working well. Uh, you know, every Japanese coach you ask, most of them, I mean, I would be, I would be surprised to see any coach not doing 30 K 40 K tempo run.
0: Yeah. Um, and you know, the Lydiard, System was pretty big on uh, very stark uh, periodization, you know, the, the base phase, the hill transition phase, and then you get into your specific stuff. How did the Japanese treat periodization for the marathon?
1: Uh, you know, that's an interesting point. Um, they, they, they don't really look at it that way. You know, they, they certainly don't do hill training as such. Uh, they don't really do interval training as such, which I personally think that that's their their mistake. You know, they they should. You know, I mean, we can really go on talking about all these things. Um, <laughs> yeah. Osako, the who the guy who finished sixth in the Tokyo Olympic marathon. Um, I, I don't know if you know him. You know, he was coached uh, by Pete Julian. He came yeah, I, I remember
0: he was uh, kind of training with Galen Rupp for some time. Right. I remember Correct. he was in yeah. Oregon. Or
1: yeah, um, after Waseda University, which was the the university Seiko went. So once again, it's all the, the same base. <clears throat> at the time, the coach at Waseda University, Coach Watanabe, not my friend Watanabe, but the other Watanabe, uh, he was coached by Seiko. So once again, it's it's the kind of a same Nakamura school thinking, but. Osako didn't like it. Um, not so much that he didn't like this old style running, but you know he wanted to do fast, quick run. You know he wanted to. He got beaten, lost Japanese national title in the last hundred meter sprint a couple times. So you know he wanted to do quick, quick, quick. And and when not Nak- well, you know they, they were all Nike athletes. So when when his coach Watanabe visited the Nike headquarters and talked to Salazar, you know, they, they kind of clicked. You know, I mean, Salazar was doing, among other things, you know, doing a lot of sprints, sprint work, you know, like 400 yeah. meter all out. I mean, you know, I saw Geron Rupp and Mo Farah running with central you know, that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, yeah. 400 meter all outs. And, and Osaka liked it. So he, he did that. And I've read Watanabe's book and he said, well, you know, Osaka wanted to do something beyond what we've been doing. And I kind of felt like, once again, you know, Lydian was doing sprint work back in the 60s. So I'm not saying that you are developing it further, but I mean, Osaka definitely did improve upon what the Japanese had been doing because if anything, you know, they kind of lacked that that sprint or, or the real fast work. You know, they're Signature workout is like ten times one kilometer. That's their interval. They never did four hundred meter intervals. They never did sprint work. So in that sense, yeah, Osaka kind of uh, uh, improved. the po- Now going back to your original question, when I talked to um, Koide, and I, I always wondered, you know, when you look at all the Japanese training, they say we take three months to prepare. And as you know, Lydia would always liked to take six months to prepare and i thought like how can you do six months work into three months mm-hmm. and then i talked to koide and i asked him like you know how how long do you take to do the marathon preparation and he said oh three months so i thought oh crap you know it's three months again then he said yeah. and i spent three months to do the leg strengthening <laughs> so that three months first three months is what Lydiard called conditioning so you uh. Leg building, just do long distance running and build your legs so you can do final three months. So wow. they kind of look at leg building period and the peaking period instead of Lydiard conditioning, heel training, interval. You know, so the,
0: the terminology is different, but it's it's pretty similar. Pretty really. similar. And yeah. And when they say leg building, that doesn't necessarily mean like weight training, no, hill sprints, no. and it it means when they say leg building, that's what we think as Westerners, but they're talking about the long, slow stuff. Yeah. Um building that adaptation. Well, you know,
1: the Toshi Takaoka, two oh six sixteen. Uh he runs hundred and fifty miles a week and uh he told me that uh you know a lot of his running is uh 5 minute mi- excuse me 8 minute mile pace yeah and i saw like what half of your training and he said no 90% wow 8 minute pace 206 yeah. guy
0: <laughs> that is a uh, i mean that's a paradigm shift it's hard um like you said with the who who was his name dick morris uh, Dave Morris, yeah. Dave Morris, um, yeah, yeah. I think we really want that hard, fast stuff to feel like we've done something and see the numbers, results on the watch. Um, we want to do kind of the flashy, extravagant workouts. Uh, but the 30k tempo, 40k tempo—I mean, those sounds like brutal, very exhausting workouts—and I can, uh, I can imagine not wanting to do that. Like he didn't want to. But then again, I mean, the marathon is a brutal event. So if you want to be the best, you you I guess you there's no getting around doing some of that I, brutal. Stuff. I think
1: it's it's mentally as well. You know, I remember. Yes, I mean, it's it's not an easy work. And uh, Seiko used to say, you know, before Tokyo Olympics, you know, he used to say you got to get down your knees and you know be, stick your hands in the mud, kind of work, and w- that's what he meant. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I remember. Back in uh, so you know when I when I sent out the Lidiard athletic training, uh, which by the way the LydianAcademy website, there's a there's a page called noteworthy, and I have like thirty articles written by or written on Lidiard. and uh, you yeah. know athletic training is the the top of it, but when I translate that athletic training and, and sent to one of the coaches, uh, he was the coach of um um Irico Asai who was, I think, second Japanese woman to break 230. And this is, again, you know, uh, 1980s. And, uh, uh, you know, he kind of invited me for dinner and, you know, Asahi came and, you know, three of us had dinner together. And I remember Asahi saying, ah, you know, I got to do 30K tomorrow. Do I have to do it? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's no fun, but yeah, you got to do it. <laughs> Right. So it it's not like every, you know every Japanese love doing 40k tempo run no it...
0: but that's the approach that they've bought into and they're committed to so you yeah. know um well oh, you
1: know actually you know if you don't mind you know one thing I was going to say um sure so here's an interesting book uh this is the national record holder for the marathon in Japan seven of them um, the, since uh, the first sub-210. And one of the guys, actually, Soul Brothers coached uh, Kodama. He was a very little-known Japanese uh, national record holder marathon runner. Uh, he ran 207 at Beijing Marathon. Now, some speculate that Beijing Marathon was short, but he was the first... Uh, sub two eight, marathon runner by Japanese. And you know, so this is all written by those guys, seven guys. And they they write down what kind of training they did as well. But this wow. Kodama was really interesting because he said basically he ran 207. And before that maybe he did a couple of 210s, whatever, never heard of him. And after 207 you never heard of him again. Uh, but he said we followed this three months training period, but I got too busy. You know, I had to do ekiden race here, I had to do track here, and I had to do the marathon. So he said I kept doing this three months period, and I thought, oh, you know, he missed that three ma- three months prerequisite leg building period. So he was mm. basically doing the final kind of peaking training plan one after the other and he (laughs) he never succeeded so once again you know again you know i was talking to my friend uh the takaoka and uh, you know he's the one who actually sent me this book so i said to him like well you know i think his downfall kodama's downfall was because he didn't have that foundation workout
0: so you're saying after he ran the 207, he never went back to the foundation period. No. And that's why he, right.
1: No. So, so you know, I, I think the marathon training is tricky because, you know, back in the sixties when everybody thought Arthur Lydiard was crazy because, you know, he had Peter Snell, 800 meter runner running the marathon distance. Right. But, you know, that's the foundation. So, the the training for the marathon you're doing 40k tempo run you're doing 30k tempo so the volume is there so you get this illusion well i'm doing the volume so i'm fine but the real foundation is this this long aerobic you know if if anything slow eight minute mile pace kind of training you know japanese runners come to boulder and they put that backpack and you know they do 50k hiking or something you know that's a part of leg building
0: well very interesting i mean thanks for uh, sharing all this i think this is the kind of thing that um there's just not much awareness about over here um so it's very interesting to get a little bit of insight into how japan has produced so many just year after year and it's definitely you can tell from hearing you describe it it's definitely a different approach than um a lot of other people are taking and i mean you can't argue with the results
1: right right i i I really think the biggest difference is that support system is very different you know in, right. in japan they'll support you to get better but in the u.s you have to be already good to be supported
0: and it's a long it it doesn't happen quickly so you need <laughs> you need that uh a long runway of support so yeah. um
1: well you know like, like i said in the beginning and you know i mean hansen's tried to do that you know they brought in some uh you know after college college runners and and tried to develop and i i i believe and i'm i don't know exactly what they're doing but uh, you know the bowman track team you know they they probably do the same kind of long-term
0: thinking right sure Um, but again their athletes their their career while they're with the group is running they don't have you know if they don't perform well for a couple years they have to go find something else to make a living for themselves so yeah
1: um, Yeah, no that's that's uh, that's a very huge incentive for japanese runners
0: right so well We've uh, been going for almost an hour and twenty minutes, so I'll I'll let you go here, unless there's anything else that you think we missed. Um, but
1: uh, well, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm trying to, like I said, you know, the dot org. Uh, it's it's a nonprofit organization under the the umbrella of Five Circles, which is five hundred one c three, the tax exempt organization and uh, i i'm trying to build this lydia as kind of a lydia legacy you know i have like um uh 30 articles that i've reproduced with my footnotes and uh you know i have this uh uh, photo gallery you know i'm very proud of it i got 1200 pictures (laughs) it's all lydia related and i gotta do better job of explaining why they're related but i mean and it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing that people don't realize you know i mean when i call you know like korean runners lydia and they go like well you know what's the connection well you know i actually lydia was invited to korea before um 88 Seoul olympics and set up the national program and he didn't like food korean food so he came back after two weeks and a guy by the name of Jack Ralston went there. And this was uh, probably sometime around uh, 1986, 87, around that time. And he set up the, the training program for Korea. And I was in, Japan, uh, in uh, uh, New Zealand 84. And when I asked Arthur, you know, how's Koreans doing getting ready for Seoul Olympics? And he actually said, no, they ran out of time. They don't have enough time to do that. But lo and behold, 92 the Korean Wang won the gold medal in the marathon and Atlanta. The Lee Bonju won the silver medal. So mm-hmm. the long-term thinking actually does help, and there's a connection with Lydia with Korean runners.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating, and that's how I even found out about you. Is um, I was looking into this kind of things and stumbled onto your website, and you could spend days on <laughs> uh, all the the articles and the um, blog posts you have on there, all the history. I mean. Yeah, I'll I will definitely um, when I publish this episode, I'll definitely put all that information so people will be able to click through and and look into that. But I definitely recommend people checking out uh, that website and also Running Wizard. That sounds like a very uh, yeah. I'll solid send you a way. code
1: so you can you can create a plan and, and play around with it. Uh, I'm very okay. proud of it. It's it's uh, you know I, I'm getting a lot of testimonials and. Uh, you know, I, I don't like the idea of, uh, you know, people talking about, oh, you got to do three times 20 mile. And, uh, you know, they they probably beat up their legs way too much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I hear so many people using Running Wizard coming back. And I said, oh, you know, I, my longest run was one 12 mile run and I never felt the wall. And uh, right. I, I used to... You know, when people ask, well, you know, this is the longest run 12 miles. Is it long enough? And I got like, uh, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, we started doing Running Wizard uh, 2015. And now I, I, I'm pretty confident. Yeah, just follow the pro- pro- program and it'll, it'll work.
0: Yeah. Well, great. Um, well, again, thanks so much for doing this. Um...
1: Yeah. No, I appreciate this. And, uh, yeah, and I have fun. So, yeah, we'll just keep in touch.
0: All right, that was Nabi Hashizumi. Back to one of my original questions in the introduction. Why do we in the U.S. not know so much about all these great Japanese marathoners? Why don't we hear about how good they are? Um, I think after talking to Nabi, the reason I would suggest would be that they're not incentivized to race in the United States. They're not, um, they seem to have no economic reason to come run any of the majors um, like Chicago, New York, Boston, because of how he said in Japan, their marathons are televised and it's a super big deal. There's a super huge audience and that's kind of, you know, it goes back to, you know, what's the reason? Why are these, corporations willing to sponsor these athletes and support them for so long um it's because they there's an audience and there's a marketing element to it so if they come and race in the U.S. I mean there's only going to be a fraction of the audience so it's like what's what's the point um it's like you know if if you were a business owner in the U.S. and you you could have your business name and logo on Tom Brady's uniform. Would you rather him play in the Super Bowl or in your local YMCA flag football tournament? I mean, and it costs you the same either way. So that that makes more sense to me now. Um, you know, it seems like the stakes are higher financially because there's more potential reward as in a Japanese, I mean, you could get into this awesome, you know, like Nabi said, I mean, it's a huge incentive to try to get recruited into a corporation and then, you know, have this lifelong um, career path ahead of you potentially. Um, and then in Kenya, I mean, it, it seems more like high risk, high reward, sort of like, this is my potential lottery ticket, you know, kind of thing. Um And so when you think about it like that, it seems like I'm saying, you know, follow the money and that's where the best runners will be. But, you know, the argument against that would be that doesn't explain how Frank Shorter and Bill Rogers were so great. I mean, there was a time when there was no money in the sport but um you know i guess that was a different time and maybe now the money does play a larger role i don't know um so it's kind of it this is all kind of prompted new questions that uh, could be a topic for future conversations but um i'll go ahead and wrap this up I guess I should say since um, I did the episode a couple of months ago about my marathon coming up towards the end of this year, which I'm still training for, and uh, it's going really well. I don't have an exact time goal yet, but um, I'm running a half marathon this weekend, uh, so I think after that I should have a better gauge on what I'm going to be capable for in the marathon. But uh, for now, all I'll say is that um, training is going well. My volume has been higher than it was before grandma's. I'm recovering much more easily uh, from bigger workouts than I did last year. Um, I will uh, definitely I'll do a recap after the race sometime in December, but at least wanted to put that out there. And um, I may um, put... You know, an update or two between now and then on um, my Instagram at Marathon Podcast if you want to try to follow along. But for now, I will go ahead and sign off.